Well, you can be seated. I want to thank you for coming tonight. And I want to talk to you uh, about the, uh, the miracle. I believe in a God of miracles. And he's uh, able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. And I'm going to talk to you about the miracle of thriving in the last days. Uh, and I want to go right into it uh, where it, it, it itemizes some things for us. Uh, just to let us be apprised on what's going on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm reading the New American Standard Bible, and Paul is articulating to Timothy, he's a young pastor, and he's saying, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Now this was written by Paul to Timothy 2,000 years ago. Theologians call 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus the pastoral letters, because Titus and Timothy were pastors, and the subject matter uh, it addresses pastoral responsibility and uh, those, those kinds of things. So they're called the pastoral letters. So that doesn't let us off the hook, however. Just because it was written 2,000 years ago, just because it was Paul to Timothy or Titus and they were the pastoral letters, um, these all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate the woman of God may be adequate, the new believer may be adequate, the elder uh, Christian who's been walking stalwart for years and years will be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like the idea of adequacy instead of inadequacy? Well, the Bible says he makes us adequate with his word. One time Paul said, uh, who is sufficient for these things, sufficiency or insufficiency? You know, their whole components in business, are, their uh, quality control people that uh, are personnel in, in jobs that just watch to make sure the standards are, are hit. Well, I'm telling you, God has made sure the standards will hit by coming on the inside of us and making us new creations and working things out in our lives. Aren't you glad for that? So when he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, it, you know, Paul was telling Timothy after Jesus has paid this price in the harshness of the Roman culture on the cross, crucified in front of everybody, naked to the world, the shame, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, Jesus suffered and died, but the grave couldn't hold him. He rose again the third day. He uh, exhorted and taught and trained for a while. Then he ascended, he's seated at the right hand, and he is about to come back. And when Paul wrote this, the church was absolutely expecting Jesus to come back any moment. He had come back, he had come once, they thought he was going to come back any moment. And I, I believe the church is to be engaged with that anticipation, that, um, that, that confidence, and that expectancy, Right? But, but, but we do not have a theology of escapism or of evacuation. We're in the world, we're not of the world, and we have, we're the light of the world, and we have responsibilities while we're in the world. And I've been saying this for about four years. I feel like a pastor in 1938 Germany, and I said that before, the, before COVID or any of that stuff. I had this sense in my spirit that we're in a season very similar to that season and probably similar to the season Paul was speaking these things to, his, to the, the people of this time. So I know I'm speaking to young parents and your kids are over at Children's Church. You've got aspirations. Um, I, I'm not a, 
I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm not doom and gloom. I, I, I believe Jesus is coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. I believe that difficult times will come. Oh, well, uh, I, I believe there's a miracle on how to thrive in the last days. But it says, you know, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And then Paul tells Timothy, avoid such men as these. Don't get caught up in uh, peer pressure. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own superficial mold. He's saying, don't, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Avoid these behaviors. Uh, you know, bad company corrupts good morals, so watch out. This, these are, this is some watch out ethics right here. With all this exhortation and all this warning, he says, from among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, uh, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Um, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. So Paul then says, he turns the coin now, and he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Paul didn't even have a persecution complex. He just, it just is what it is. He said, those who desire to live godly in Christ, it says, shall, will be persecuted. It's just everybody say, oh, well. So it is what it is, and so in order to thrive in the, in the last days, you have to understand what's happening. Um, it says, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Boy, that's, verse 14 is the essence of the miracle of thriving in the last days. You, however. Look at somebody next to you and say, you, however. Uh, you know, it, it, it gets to the place where, as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. And uh, he said, behold, I set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. He said, choose life so that you and your seed may live. I'm preaching a life-giving message. Paul is preaching a life-giving message here of admonition and warning, showing the contrast and faithfully articulating the uh, sort of and detailing behavioral patterns that that Timothy needed to be aware of and that we need to be aware of. This this is the such is the case living in a fallen world, and so with this eliminates idealism, and we are not ignorant. The Bible says we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices, and it, and there's an interesting telling verse. It says, "Be innocent concerning that which is evil, and wise concerning that which is good." But notice it said innocent, not ignorant. We, we need to not be ignorant 
of things pertaining to the Holy Spirit. We don't ignore the condition of the world we're in. Uh, we don't get paranoid, but we also don't go numb. We listen to the Holy Spirit. He said, my sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. And the Holy Spirit will always lead us into all the truth. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Did you know the word will come to you and bring wisdom to you? And I want to talk about that a little bit. The miracle of thriving in the last days is going to take a ton of wisdom. And I want to tell you, Jesus is making wisdom available to all of us. We are set up to hear from God. Now, the Bible words uh, are in the Greek are logos. Everybody say logos. And when the word becomes clear to us by revelation, that word is called rhema. Everybody say rhema. So when, Paul, when Peter said, like Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? When everybody else was abandoning Jesus, Peter said, Lord, well, where else could I go? You have the words, rhema, of eternal life. So he goes, you're the guy that brings the insights to me. I need God. In fact, he's the one, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. So the miracle of thriving in the last days is that we are going to have to stay tuned into and dialed into a continual flow of wisdom and revelation in a clear and concise knowledge of God. And I felt that during worship. While we were singing praises, man, I felt like my thinking was lining up. I felt like the song choices that the worship leaders made were so uh, aptly chosen. You know, just, uh, just each song, including during the offering, it all just had so much value to me. It brought revelation to me. And so... I'm praying that you get that so you can continue in the things that you've learned and, um, and that you, you become convinced of. So I'm convinced there's a God in heaven and that he's good. I'm also convinced there's a devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm convinced that God is greater than the devil and that Jesus actually conquered Satan and that now everybody that lines up with Jesus has the victory. But in order to manifest Satan's defeat and implement the provision, we've got to go to God's word and go to get in the logos uh, and trust that God is going to bring a, a re rhema revelation to us for, as we read the Bible. So I read my Bible, and I'll just, you know, I, I have different approaches in reading. I study to prepare my messages, you know, and I write notes, and I take my thoughts down. Sometimes I'll just do a study, a word study, just for myself. And I use this book because it helps me because I'm a, that's how, it, like I wrote down 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? Every Christian needs to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope. You can't simply be against everything bad 
you have to be for something good. Otherwise, you can get really dark and crazy. That's from Rod Dreyer quoting a former prisoner of conscience in Russia uh, in his book, Live Not By Lies. He said, I'll repeat it, every Christian needs to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope. You can't simply be against everything bad. You have to be for something good. Otherwise, you can get really dark and crazy. (laughs) Right? And so here's what he says. This is going to be whack on a high category of treachery, unloving, irreconcilable, mean-spirited, you know, all that stuff. But you, however, uh, he said, you know, follow after the things, continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So I think we need to have a you know, we need to be dreamers. We need to, we need to be the aware of a proactive life rather than a reactive life. And um, it is hard in this world. And that's why I think Paul spent a whole chapter telling Timothy about the way it is and that even persecution was an issue. But yet, then he's saying, you, however, continue in the things you've, you've learned and have become convinced of. And um, we don't need more novel methodology. We don't need to veer off into uh, trends and fads. We don't need to stay stuck in old uh, religious constructs. We don't need to be so much iconoclastic. We don't need to be so traditionalist. We just need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. I think the fun zone is in the area of just yielding to God and walking with him every day. I'm having fun in church right now. I'm I'm having fun even saying how to overcome in the last days. And uh, let's go over to Romans chapter 8 because uh, we're going to go to Romans 8 and then Ephesians 6. But Romans 8, Paul starts out the chapter by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He ends the chapter by saying... There's no separation from the love of God. Nothing, no condemnation. Say this with me. No condemnation, no separation. He said nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Because we do unlovable things. We all fail. Even as Christians, we've fallen short. We get performance-oriented, and we look at ourselves sometimes and just feel crummy about it. And yet God's mercy, God's grace... The protective blood of Jesus cancels, still yet cancels out our sin, still washes us white as snow. That's why when I receive communion, I affirm that, I think about that. And because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and we don't love our lives even unto death. This is bigger than us, it's bigger than our creature comforts, it's bigger than our golden dreams we have, it's bigger than how harsh and crazy the world is. But look what it says here. He says um, in verse 35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He's, He's asking this question. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
Can you read verse 37 out loud with me? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. One more time. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Wow. He that's begun a good work in us intends to perform it all the way to the end. And I caught this when I first got saved. And this was way beyond me because I was impulsive. I was 16 when I became a Christian. I was an impulsive kid, teenager. But yet God was putting strong concepts in my young spirit. And uh, as I caught up with them and as I'm growing into them, it's like, wow, that would have to have been God, you know, that, that, that started to alert me to some of these, um, these markers that he wanted me to shoot for. And... Um, whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to conform to the image of his son. It says in verse 29 of Romans 8. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. See, Jesus leads a champion team in a champion season. Remember that greatest show on turf period of the football team here? It was a team. Isaac Bruce got baptized in the Holy Spirit in the back room there. He got married in the hospitality room. Taylor was his best man. Uh, you know, they, they, I, I prophesied to Don Davis about his calling for his future. I mean, God moved on all those guys. It was a whole bunch of people, linemen, uh, coaching staff, people that were really committed to the Lord. It was amazing. It was a collective. And uh, I, was, I was watching a documentary, a master class, and the uh, presenters, it, it was Metallica, the, band, the heavy, metal mad, heavy metal band Metallica. And uh, famous for ego and conflict and things like that. And these men have grown up and matured. And they were talking about um, how they as individuals come into this band environment. And then there's this other entity, the band. So there are all these individuals but then there, this thing emerges and becomes, and because they had such passion to be musicians and be successful in their careers, they've had to overcome all kinds of drugs and crazy bad decisions and issues and strife where they hated each other. And it's kind of fame, they're famous for it. But as I listened to these guys who are now maturing men, I thought, I thought of parallels with the church. You say, Pastor Jeff, how could you watch a master class on a heavy metal band and get parallels with the church? Easy. The Holy Spirit will show you stuff if you listen to him just in all kinds of places. You watch a cow chewing cud and you think about meditation, you, right? You watch uh, the sunrise and you think about the consistency of heaven and faithfulness of God. And so, and I thought about it, I thought the church in the last days, God has intended to thrive, to shine, to over overcome to offset the darkness to not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good and so it, the miracle of thriving in the last days first of all you have to understand it is God's intention that he come back to a glorious church without spot or blemish and that Jesus what he authors he finishes and he loves the church and he is the head of the church and he has big plans for the, his body and I think about it in the local, like those guys thought about their, themselves as a band. And they're, they're, they're their own band, they've got their own style, their genre, and so forth. And, and, and that's, and I, you know, I, sh I have respect, and I, I think about it. I think about how different 
um, watching Dead Mouse's uh, uh, masterclass. He's a Canadian DJ, and I am listening to. He slept through his uh, conservatory classes at this mu prestigious mu music school, but yet, you know, he comes out with this genius skill. I don't relate totally to his genre, but he's. I, I, I listen and I learn from him. I learn from him. In fact, the first concert that happened over across the street in this new facility. What's the name of that place, Virgil? Across the street, the factory. It was uh, Dead Mouse and Steve Hampton's son. In law, right, Steve? He went to that concert, and he thought this will never, this will never be this clean ever again because it's a first concert. So I think I don't know if that's why he went to the concert so he could see how clean it was. But yeah, I mean, uh, and then I watched Carlos Santana. He he grew up right near me. He was in Tijuana. I was in San Diego. He's got this whole different approach musically. He's got sort of a Hammond B3 rock and roll guitar '70s vibe. And uh, I learned from each and every one of them as I listened. And, uh, you, you know, you, 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 when, you're, when you're redeemed, you think differently. And when you're, when you're walking with Jesus, you're, you're looking for inspiration. Where, you're looking for inspiration wherever you can legitimately find it. And, and you're listening for the Holy Spirit. Show me some allegories, some parallels. Show me some 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 same as, different, but different, but same as kind of stuff. And so, and, and, and I need inspiration. Who in here needs to be inspired? We need revelation, illumination, but we also need inspiration. And uh, man, here's what he says. He says, um, and these whom he predestined, he also called, verse 30. And these that he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he has also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31, Romans 8. If God's for us, who's against us? Well, I'll answer it. The devil, the world, you know, sometimes people. But the point is, but since God loves us and God has promises concerning all this stuff, and he knows the way things are going to be, and he's factored it all in, we can be confident. And he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Every day, 24 hours a day, Jesus has us as the object of his affection and the center of his concern. He wants to please the Father. And he wants to aid the body of Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, tribulation, distress, persecution, so forth. He says, but in all these things, verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Greek word is a compound, hupo nikeo. Hupo nikeo, super conquerors. Hupo is where you get the word hyper. It's like, like what are you? I am so over the top an overcomer that I can't even, there's not even an English word that can describe it. We are more than conquerors, overwhelmingly conquering through him who loved us. He said, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, at times the devil will try to get you depressed and he'll, he'll start whispering that the, God doesn't love you. 
and uh, maybe you're not saved and that kind of thing. And then you might go online and somebody will question your salvation, legitimate salvation. And then it's like, oh, and the devil will take you down that rabbit trail. I pray it never happens to you, but, it, but that's the nature of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what you do then is you just go right back to God's word, the logos, and you see, okay, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He predestined us to, to conform to the image of his son. And you study that out, meditate what that means for the, to be elect and be called and so forth and be saved. And he, you know, he desires no one to perish, but all to come to eternal life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? Whoever confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believes in their heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Isn't that great? Yes. Hallelujah. So, you know, continue in the things you've, you've learned and become convinced of. And here's what I want to say. The, the miracle of thriving in the last days has to do with our confidence. And here's what I mean. Each one of us needs to be fully persuaded in his own mind. I could preach under the anointing and do my best to communicate and convince this to you, uh, 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 these truths to you, but you're going to have to get this. You know who's teaching you. You're going to have to get it. You're going to study it, take it for yourself, and be fully persuaded in your own mind. That's what sustains you through it all, that if your friends are indifferent, the world's apathetic, you know, you'll be, in, you'll be serving God 25, 30, 40 years from now because your roots go down deep. Nobody's talked you into it. Nobody's talking you out of it. It's not a peer pressure thing. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a little quick fad. This is for a lifetime for you. And, uh, you, you know, you, the, and when I became a Christian at 16, one of the guys at my high school said, I'll give you five years and you'll be out of it. And I thought, what? So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That's what we have hands for so we could do math. Uh, and actually, you know, when I moved away, when my brother, when we moved here, we didn't look for church and I got back on some bad patterns, but I repented uh, and got back on track when I was 19. I backslid from the time I was around 17 to 19, but I came back. Uh, and man, I just, where else could I go? He has the words of eternal life. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? So how do you thrive? How do you shine? Just realize the greater one lives on the inside of you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he's given us these precious and magnificent promises. So we dial into this. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to end here. And while you're turning there, though, even though I said we're going to end there, I'm going to insert another verse. First John 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments or keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We can do it. Verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Can I just simplify it by saying stay in faith? If it's not a faith, it's sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Basically, it's 
trusting God in the integrity of his word and his promises, his consistency, his faithfulness bias that he's manifest throughout history, and that that God is going to see me through. And it puts a resilience in your spirit. It's already embedded in you, but you get your mind renewed to it, and you get caught up in it and go, man, you know what? God is going to see me through. And then it becomes... uh, contagious it's a spirit of faith and it goes throughout the whole body of Christ every denomination there are people with a spirit of faith so you look for me you 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 sniff it out you track it you look for it and um but you want to you want to cultivate it in your own spirit so tonight I just read you a whole chapter from first Timothy I just read you about Seven chapters from Romans chapter 8. Faith comes by hearing the word. So I'm called to preach the word to you. I just shared five verses from 1 John 5. And now we're going to go to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we're going to nail it. Last week, I was in Romans 12. And in verse 11, it said, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And it's such a great chapter. And uh, I want to read something to you that my friend Dick Mills wrote about 25 years ago. He said, uh, and he referenced Revelation 3.21. Stay in Ephesians 6, and I'll just read this to you. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. In the book of Revelation... Each of the seven churches in chapter 2 in Asia is promised a different reward for overcoming the flesh, the world, and the devil. These rewards include the privilege of eating of the tree of life and of the hidden manna, power over the nations, uh, being clothed in white raiment, and being made a pillar in the temple of God. The last church mentioned was the church of Laodicea. The reward offered them was the promise to be enthroned with Jesus in a place of glory and honor. There are many similarities between the tendencies of the Laodiceans and the modern-day church. Their lukewarmness, complacency, smugness, and spiritual conceit are characteristics we see prevalent in many of our churches today. I used to think the greatest rewards were reserved for the martyrs. Surely, I thought... Giving up one's life for the cause of Christ would bring great rewards. Second on my list were the missionaries. If anybody deserves special rewards for self-sacrifice, doubtless it was this group of brave people who had given up everything to go witness to foreign people. And here's what Dick Mills concludes. But the truth is the greatest reward is promised to those who keep a zeal alive, a flame of devotion, and a spiritual intensity In a world filled with apathy and spiritual indifference. I'll read it again. But the truth is, the greatest reward is promised to those who can keep a zeal alive, a flame of devotion, and a spiritual intensity in a world filled with apathy and spiritual indifference. Keeping the fire of the Holy Ghost burning in the midst of ineptitude, mediocrity, and spiritual lethargy results in the privilege of sitting on the throne with Jesus. 
So let's quote this. Not lagging behind in in diligence. Say that. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. So these are the fresh targets. And this is how we're going to thrive as the world gets skewed and gets crazy. And again, I think the quote I made from that author who was quoting a Soviet dissident, every Christian needs to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope, um, can't simply be, uh, you can't simply be against everything bad. You have to be for something good. Otherwise, you can get really dark and crazy. Rod Dreyer quoting a former prisoner of conscience in Russia. I think that's what I want to say tonight. That God doesn't want us to be all jacked up against stuff or nervous and worried or anxious but he wants us to be clothed with awareness, going forth and proceeding with, uh, with our eyes wide open so we know what we're getting into and we keep pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what Paul is saying is, though we live an earthly life, we do not wage an earthly war. He said this also in 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, that uh, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We've had, you know, the Bible says in one verse in the gospel, if you, before you can spoil his goods, you've got to bind the strong man. So what does that mean? Well, these verses talk about principalities, powers, rulers of this darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There are apparently... In the spiritual realm, uh, under Satan, uh, principalities and demon spirits, I guess, in rank. Uh, And um, Jesus gives us authority to contend with all of it. And um, he's given us God's own armor. Remember when David was going to face Goliath, and what did King Saul offer David? His armor. But he said, it doesn't fit. It's not tested. It doesn't work. It, didn't, it wasn't even working for Saul, actually, because Saul was stuck even behind that imperfect armor. But I'm telling you, this armor fits perfectly. This is the armor that we're armed with, the awareness that we take up the full armor of God so that we will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, we stand firm. And I think this, we go to a service like this to prepare us for days like that. We read our Bibles to get the, uh, Pastor John Osteen, he said, you know, get into the logos and what will come out of you is the rhema of God. And, uh, you know, how are we going to have those quickening words if we're not paying attention to the written word? So that's why it's so smart 
to stay in the book. And then up comes moments where God will quicken you and bring something to your remembrance. You know, you guys are raising your children and you're in this season of your life, uh, John and Maria. You're just, you know, there's just, there's just seasons we go through. Kim, there are things that, you know, the weems are facing right now. Things, you're, things that you, you don't even... Um, uh, Sunday, I'm going to talk some about wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is data. It's information. Wisdom is what to do with what God shows you. God's showing us stuff as individuals. God's showing us stuff as a people. And it's funny. I watched this uh, master class with these rockers. And they've had knockdown fights. They've, you know, they've, you know, one's a Christian science guy. One's, you know, I don't know where they're coming from spiritually. But so much stuff came out that was pertinent about individuals working together. The base, the new bass player, he said, you know, when you, what do you do in a room full of egos? You know, here's why things, people, people are creative and then they're, they're tired and then these factors happen. And they were working to keep cohesion in their band. And I thought, how much more our families? How much more our church body? How much more where you work? You know, right? Because these guys wanted, and I, and I just admired it. I thought, wow, you know. Um, I've never bought one of their records. I'm not particularly a follower of their music, but I appreciate um, their tenacity. Yeah. I appreciate it that they, when they clashed, they resolved and worked it out and tried to figure out how to love one another. I thought, boy, that's, that'd be good in any setting, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, because there's something on the other side of that strife. There's something on the other side of that coldness. There's something on the other side of that apathy. And uh, I think what Dick Mills said is right. I remember a guy in the 70s wrote a song about the Laodicean church, and he was shaming all of us for being the church of Laodicea. And it was like, I had just gotten back with God. I was on fire. I was like, well, I, and I don't even remember the guy's name. He came in and sang and had a guitar and get yelled at everybody and was mad as heck, scowling. And then he left. And it was all uh, the church of Laodicea. And I thought... Even the church of Laodicea, he said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I want to heal your lukewarmness. I want to get you on fire. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to dine with you. He said that to the church of Laodicea. So when this guy's going, church of Laodicea, it's like Jesus is knocking on the door of the church of Laodicea. And the times I've been Laodicean and lukewarm, you know, uh, thankfully God didn't spit me out of his mouth. He was merciful to... A smoldering wick he will not put out and a bruised reed he will not throw out. So he'll fan the flame. You know, we had these two snow days. We let the staff off and we burned, I think, I don't know, a whole forest of firewood. We just kept putting logs in there. And when the fire started, because it was, you know, 11 degrees outside and, you know, and we were, we were, we were cabin fever, landlocked. So we just lit fire and just sat there and watched the fire. And it would start to go out, and I just would get up and fan it. I'd put paper under it. I'd work it out and get it going again. And uh, Pastor Virgil, a couple of years ago, said he had a word of knowledge for me. He said, you need to get one of those logs that takes care of the creosote. And I took heed to it, and I burned two of them. And, uh, and I just did another one, so I just want you to know that. But, they, they, you know, that's nice when somebody that got a quickening. Hey, get one of those creosote-busting logs for your fireplace. 
Like Pastor John just said to me, tell the people that the snow is melting and it's creating black ice and it just looks like water, but it's actually black ice. I thought, thank you for telling me. I'm going to warn this, the, the church body when you go to your cars to really pay attention. Shuffle your feet and don't step on. Uh, Ed knows about black ice. He had an experience. He had an encounter personally with it. Um, but with the fire, I just had to keep it going. And then uh, you got to keep the fire burning. And so uh, this is a keep the fire burning message right now. The world's nuts, but what do we do? What do we do? We, we don't start getting, going against everything bad. Again, I want to read what the Soviet, former Soviet dissident said. Every Christian needs to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope, you can't simply be against everything bad. You have to be for something good. Everybody say proactive, proactive. Not, reactive. not reactive. See, the devil wants to get the church less efficient, wants to get us badgering each other and badgering culture and getting mad about everything and being down on that level. But Ephesians 6 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I'm not over-spiritualizing this. There are real issues. Again, I feel like a pastor in 1938 Germany. And I don't even fully understand what I'm saying by that, except that I want to be, be about the Father's business. I want to you know, build toward the future, believe God that we will be led by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God will help us to make really wise decisions. Because he has the data, he knows what's up, but he also has the wisdom on, to show us exactly how to thrive in uh, the last days. So we put on the armor of God. We, uh, we, uh, here's how it starts. Verse 14. Having girded your loins with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is the truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Spend a lot of time in the truth. You know, I, it's, it's a famous point, but uh, who are they? The secret service that watch out for uh, counterfeit money? They study the real thing so that they can sniff out a counterfeit. And, you know, now if you get one of your bills and look at it, they've got a ribbon inside, a watermark. They've got all the etching is all changed out. They've got a certain type of cloth with or a uh, rag-based paper that has little green and, and, and blue uh, fibers impregnated into the paper. And then, I mean, there are just so many things. They just have to keep changing it because people keep trying to counterfeit it. Well, same thing with, the, you know, the many false Christs, you know. People saying that he's already come and all these different winds of doctrine. And so we've got to be, okay, I've got to continue in the things I've learned, and the things I'm convinced of and know who I got them from and stay in that basic, essential, Judeo-Christian, Genesis to Revelation, hallelujah, Holy Spirit-inspired Bible, right? Uh, breastplate of righteousness. I love that he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Paul said we do not have a righteousness of our own consisting of works. It, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But we definitely receive it. We've been made right with God. And that's a breastplate that protects. 
You know, when I had the boating accident, I got hit in my chest. My ribs protected my heart and my lungs, but it broke my ribs and cracked my sternum. And I mean, it was like I was wiggling. Every, you know, I would move, and everything would move that shouldn't move. And, uh, but it protected my vitals. Thank God for a rib cage and a sternum. I have a new appreciation for those. And I could feel it. This one over here is all lumpy and weird. This one's still pretty good. But this one took the hit. That's right where my heart was. And uh, God protected me. And the breastplate of righteousness is 10 zillion times more significant than ribs. But its design is as a breastplate. What else is uh, under here? What's here? Heart. What's here? What's here? What's back here? How do you know I'm aiming at my kidneys? I'm just kidding. All right. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That, that, means, that means live ready, be poised to communicate the gospel to people. Right? The harvest is plenteous, the labors are few. So have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, why did Paul lay out to the church at Ephesus this wardrobe description of, from head to toe, uh, armor? Because it was so relevant for their time. They saw the Italian cohort and the, the Roman guards everywhere in Palestine and all around the Ephesus and Corinth, everywhere throughout the Mediterranean. Everywhere you turned, you saw this gear. So for a Christian, they go, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. You know, sword of the spirit, uh, shield of faith. It's like the imagery is so awesome. You know, to us, uh, I guess you got to watch The Mandalorian or Boba Fett or something, you know, watch their stuff, right? Because they're all wearing armor and helmets and stuff, right? And, uh, but I want to tell you, we still need that shield of faith with which to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Every one of them, all includes everything and excludes nothing. So we get together and we, hold a, we lock shields together. One of the military strategies uh, in these eras was uh, they would lock their shields together and it became an impenetrable force. So um, that's what we do as a church. We individually realize that we've been, uh, we're armed, but we're not weaponized uh, to be mad at everything that's bad. We're weaponized for God's golden dream that we would show forth, forth his excellencies, that we would see great results in prayer, that we would alleviate the suffering in the world around us, and we'd be led by the Spirit so we make a meaningful difference throughout our lifespan and hit the mark.
Can I hear an amen? amen? Every Christian needs to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope. You can't simply be against everything bad. You have to be for something good. Otherwise, and I love this, you can get really dark and crazy. Let's stand up. How do we thrive in the last days? By, by continuing in the things we've learned and have become convinced of, knowing that we are going to persevere and overcome in every trial, every circumstance. Now, I preach so fast, this is way earlier than I had intended. So what you need to do now is utilize these next few minutes and fellowship. The, the staff has been putting salt on the black ice, so by the time you're done fellowshipping in the next 45 minutes, it'll all be melted and it'll be safer for you to go to your cars. You guys online, I want to encourage you, if you've been drinking a lot lately and you haven't been living for Jesus, I remember when I was a teenager and I had come from a party and I turned the TV on and... Uh, Christian told me that God loved me and forgave me, and I repented, and I came back to the Lord from that one moment. And I pray you can do that, you would do that even right now. I, I, if you've been depressed, I just read about Winston Churchill, and I also read about uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. He told his tabernacle in London that he was preaching to himself because he was in such a dark place. He asked him to pray for him. In case you've been through depression... I pray you get to the other side of it. If you're in it now, I pray you get out of it and don't do anything rash while you're in this case. Watch what you say when you're depressed. Don't overreact. God will get you through this. Paul went through it. The Apostle Paul went through it. David went through it. Elijah went through it. And Jesus is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. So we're going to pray for you. And... Um, I just believe God's pushing the reset of new beginnings tonight. Yeah. So put one hand on your heart, one hand up toward heaven, and say, Lord, Lord teach me how to thrive, me how to thrive in, the in the last days. Help me, Help me to walk away from sin, to, away from to press sin. into God, to forgive, to forgive, to walk the love walk, and to live out your golden dream that you have for me. Your will be done in these last days. Jesus will be exalted, a great harvest amongst the lost, and a great revival in the church. Now I want you to turn around and I want you to pray for one another for about 30 seconds. We're going to finish with trading my sorrows.